It is my privilege this morning to welcome to our pulpit Dr. David Williams, who currently serves as visiting professor of practical ministry at his alma mater at Malone University. And before I say anything more, I first had the opportunity to meet David uh, about 10 or 12 years ago at a pastor's retreat in Sandy Cove, Maryland. And to this day, of all the pastor's retreats I've been involved in, I thought that the retreat that he led us through a heart in a heart of prayer was one of the best ones I've been to. So I'm excited to be able to introduce him to you and Lord, and I, and I know that he will have a word for our lives. David and his wife Carol met during this time as students in Malone. They both received a clear call to vocational ministry. They've been partners together in full-time Christian service throughout their 40 years of marriage. And they've blessed with six children and 13 grandchildren along the way. David, I've matched you with children. I'm still working on 13 grandchildren, though. <laughs> Having served as a youth pastor, family pastor, lead pastor, campus pastor, and regional superintendent, and some of you know him from his days at West Park Friends Church. Dave brings over 40 years of experience in church life and 20 years of classroom experience to his current role at Malone. You have the privilege this morning of hearing from one who is a teacher, a mentor, a sacred companion for a new generation of Christian leaders. Would you please welcome Dr. David Williams. Thanks, bro. I, uh, I think that means I'm old. I'm pretty sure that's what he was saying. Thanks, Rich. Um, yeah, so it's great to be back. Um, haven't been in this church for about 25 years when I was serving at West Park Friends in Cleveland. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm so old. I was your pastor's recording mentor back in the day when Jeff was a new pastor here at uh, North Olmsted. So anyway, great to be here. Um, really fun to to continue to strengthen connections between Malone and uh, Eastern Region. I know you've heard from Dr. Greg Miller before, and um, a couple years ago, Greg called me. I was out in Kansas and, and uh, basically invited me to come and said, hey, could you come help us as we're trying to kind of strengthen our, our historic roots as a ministry training center? And, um, and, and I said, yeah. And so here we are back in Ohio after being a student 40 years ago. Wow. How does that happen? Um, so anyway, all to say, I'm just really thankful to be here with you and, and to meet new folks and new friends um, as, as we serve the Lord together. If you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 in your paper or electronic Bibles, whatever you have, um, we're going to take a look at, at this part of Scripture this morning. As you're turning, have you noticed that seasons are changing these days, right? Uh, so not long ago, we turn the clocks back and that's always an indication things are changing and you know baseball finished up for the season and uh, you know I, I think I've collected most of my leaves by now in my yard and uh, and so everything's changing yesterday we had a, a little game that took place that indicates a change of seasons 
Um, I still have my voice, but my heart hurts as an Ohio State fan. But uh, pray for my, my younger brother. He's a Michigan fan. I don't know. I, I hope he gets to heaven. I'm just really praying, um, you know, that somehow the Lord will have mercy on his soul. But anyway, um, we have a lot of fun. Um, so things are changing. And uh, I remember when we lived in Colorado for a number of years, um, we would go up sometimes to Rocky Mountain National Park. Anybody ever been there? Up? Okay, so you know it's really pretty. And so we would go up, and one of my favorite times was in, like, September when the aspen trees were turning gold, and just brilliant, you know. And so you go up on this trail ridge road as you weave your way through the park, and it's up above Timberline, and you're up in the tundra, and it's just gorgeous and awesome. And, and so I was looking forward to that. And we got up to the gate for the road, and it said, closed for winter. I was so sad, so disappointed. I wanted to get one more shot up there, and, and I was too late. I missed the opportunity. The window closed for that season. And I say that to say that Paul must have had that kind of thinking in his mind when he wrote this letter at 2 Timothy. It's his last letter. Um, just a little background here as Paul's writing. So he's probably around my age. He's around 60, 61, 62 in that range. And he's lived, you know, a full life. He's done a lot of traveling as a missionary. Um, seen a lot of amazing things as well as some pretty crazy stuff along his, his journey. And so now he, we believe, is in the maritime dungeon in Rome. It's a cold, dark, um, bad place. It's death row uh, in the Roman Empire. And so he knows, as we'll see from the text, that his days are numbered, that his life is, is short. And so before the road is closed for winter, uh, in his life, he wants to make sure and, and get a couple things done or a couple things in place, and especially a few people that he wants to make sure and connect with. Um, just so you know, in that part of the world, in the Mediterranean world, it's right about now that the shipping lanes pretty well shut down, especially in the first century. Things are a little bit different now, but in the first century, the sailing ships could no longer sail safely uh, from, from this time on until spring. And so when Paul talks about people coming to him, he's saying that window is just about to shut. And I probably won't have another opportunity because I'm, I'm on death row. So this is what we're reading now. As we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to his dear friend and son in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor. And this is what he writes beginning in verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Would you stand with me as we pay attention to God's word? Paul says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. In other words, I'm dying. I have fought the good fight. Sorry, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Come, Lord Jesus. And so he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. And he goes on to talk about some of the reasons for that. But he says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak I left uh, with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. He has some more uh, instructions for Timothy, but then he says this in verse 19, please greet Priscilla and Aquila, those should be some 
familiar names. And the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. You see how he talks about his friends. Do your best, verse 21, to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit, and grace be with you all. Would you, if you're willing, extend your hands like this and pray a prayer that I try to pray on a regular basis? If you're willing to repeat after me, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. found that to be a really important prayer in my life. Uh, I like, like Samuel, who prayed that prayer, uh, if you read back in 1 Samuel 3. I, like Samuel, grew up around the things of God, you know, around the scriptures, just as he did, around the temple, so to speak. But it wasn't until he began to pray that way that God began to speak into his life and reveal himself. And, you know, we're all here in a, in a place of worship. We all have access to the scriptures. But as somebody said, you know, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car, right? And so, so the idea is we have to be receptive to, to the revelation that God has for us, and that's our prayer today. So here's the question. What do you do when you know that your time is short? When it's all said and done, what really matters at the end of the day? Those were questions that Paul had to deal with. Again, this is his last will and testament. This is his final words written before he was executed in Rome by Nero, probably somewhere in the spring of 67, right in that ballpark. And so this may have been the fall of 66 when he's writing, but he knows his time is short. And so what do you want? What do you want for encouragement and support and morale when you know that your time is short, your days are numbered? Well, here's what Paul wants. Three things he asked for. A good coat. He says, bring my cloak, because it's cold here, and he needs physical comfort, right? His body. He says, bring my books, my parchments, my scrolls, so he, as a scholar, needs some intellectual comfort. Some of those writings might have been his own, by the way. And then, third and most importantly, he says, I need my good friends. Now, remember, Paul was not married. He had no children. And so these friends of his were his family, literally, the church was the family for him. And so some, if you read through just even this text that we just read and throughout his writings, he names, I think, hundreds of people that he is friends with, co-workers. But he asked for three. He asked for three people to be with him at this point in time. And it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus had three inner circle friends that he called to be with him at the Mount of Transfiguration at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's in one of his darkest moments. Peter, James, and John were that inner circle. Who do you want with you in your last kind of critical moments, you know? Who do you want with you when you're in the trenches going through the hard stuff? So Paul asked for three. Luke, Mark, and Timothy. Those are the three he names that either are with him or he needs with him. Now the first is Luke. Let's see what these three have to offer us when it comes to the type of people and the type of really weighty matters that we want to make sure and pay attention to when we know that our time is short. 
Luke. It says, only Luke is with me, verse 11. Now, you ask yourself, what does Luke represent? Yes, he's a good friend. He's uh, his personal physician. That's a pretty handy thing for a missionary to have, right? Somebody to come with him and help treat his uh, physical needs. Did I see Dr. Kevin Chang in the room? This gentleman was our pediatrician doctor when we lived back in West Park. Thank you for taking good care of us. Um, we still, our kids still talk about um, how much we appreciate the, uh, the ministry you had to our family, so thank you, thank you. Um, and you saw some crazy stuff. My, my, my kids were always doing weird stuff, getting toothbrushes stuck in the back of their throat and all kinds of weird things. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but, but a, good, a good physician. He was also a fellow worker we know from Philemon. And we know he was the author of the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And let me ask you this, if you've read Luke and Acts, that two, two book kind of presentation of the Gospel, I wonder what stands out to you about Luke. Is there, is there anything distinctive about Luke compared to the other Gospel writers? I would say that one thing that Luke wants to tell us more than anything, because he may have been the only Gentile author of Scripture, he wants us to know that this gospel, this life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody, the whole world, rich and poor, prostitutes and tax collectors, Pharisees and everybody. And, and so when I think about Paul saying, man, Luke is here, I think about it reflecting the fact that the most important thing to Paul was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for the gospel. He wanted everybody to have an opportunity to come to salvation through the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. The, the gospel was at the center of his life and ministry. He traveled thousands of miles on foot. So here's my question. As you think about whatever time you have left, and I know sometimes, especially if you're young, I see some young folks here, you think, man, I got a lot of time. I got forever. And I hope you do. I hope you have a long life. But did you hear what happened to some students from Tuskegee Valley just last week? You don't know. I mean, this bus accident was horrible, and several people died, and others were injured. And, and, and we just don't know how much time we have left. And that's why Paul says, you know what? Do this quickly. Don't waste time. It might be now or never. And so I think he wants to say to us, even though we're 2,000 years away from this text, I think he wants to say to us today, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, if you haven't come to faith in Christ, if you don't have an assurance of salvation, if you don't know with confidence that when you die, you will meet him face to face and be embraced and invited to enter into the kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't know that, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't resist. I resisted a long time. I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the pastor's home, and I thought if I just lived a good life, I'd be okay, and the Lord made it clear to me that, Dave, listen, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps because your bootstraps are broken. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Some of you in this room know that well. But I bet there's somebody that doesn't. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you know it intellectually. 
but you've kind of resisted surrendering your life to Christ because I'll have to give up some stuff or I'll have to do things differently or whatever that may be, or maybe I'm not good enough, right? And that's all lies from the enemy because you, I hope it doesn't happen, but you may walk out of this door and it'll be your last time in this place. We don't know. And so my prayer for you is to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul who knew Jesus so well and so intimately and that you won't waste any more time. If you don't know Jesus, put your trust in him today. It's not hard. You just simply say, Jesus, here I am, just as I am. I'm broken. I'm a mess. But you came to save sinners like me, broken people. You died on the cross for me. You shed your blood for me. You rose for me. And so I repent of my sin and put my faith in you and you alone. It's really not rocket science, but it's urgent. It's urgent. So I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus personally, let this be the day that you begin that journey with him, that relationship. That's what Luke would want us to, to hear. Second, there's, there's Mark. Now, Mark is fascinating. Uh, I, I never would have expected to see Mark in this letter if you are following Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. You know what I'm talking about? Acts 13, 14. So you remember that Barnabas and Paul are being sent off by the church at Antioch, and they've got this kid, this young whippersnapper, John Mark, and they want to take him along as well. And so somewhere in the midst of their first journey, as they're traveling, it says John Mark bails. He just, he just cuts and runs. And, and we don't know for sure why. He could have been homesick as a young guy. He could have had some difference of opinion with Paul and Barnabas on how this ought to be done. You know, when you're young, um, sometimes you, you make mistakes, and hopefully less so as we get older and wiser. But he bailed, and that was a critical time, right, for Paul and Barnabas. They're just starting this, this mission. So they get back, and they have conversations, and you get to Acts 15, and at the end of that, Paul and Barnabas want to go back and, and take a second trip. And Barnabas says, hey, let's go get John Mark and give him a second chance. And it's like Paul says, are you kidding me? We can't trust that guy. There's no way. And they get into this big dispute. Uh, if you read the language, original language, it says that they almost came to blows. It was really intense. And we find out later that Mark is Barnabas's cousin. So Barnabas probably had a soft spot and wanted to give him a second chance. And, and Paul, as a, a really a new missionary, said, no way. Um, by the way, it's fun to watch Paul grow over the years as he gets more seasoned, a bit more tender, a bit more grace-filled. Because what we have now is Paul at the end of his life, and guess what he says? That kid that left us high and dry, I want him with me. What? What happened there? We don't know the whole story. We just know in Colossians chapter 4 that Paul calls Mark my fellow prisoner and a comfort to me. And so at some point, they reconciled. I'm guessing Barnabas had something to do with that as kind of a peacemaker, because Barnabas and Paul reconciled as well. But I'm guessing Paul, as he got older and wiser and a bit more uh, Christ-like, uh, probably understood, I can't leave this kid hanging like that. Uh, we need to restore him and reconcile. So apparently they do, because here he is on death row, and he says, man, I really need Mark. So, what is it about Mark that we can take away from this message? You only have so many opportunities to be reconciled to people 
who you've been at odds with. So I think about this when I think about uh, my friend Richard Burr, who was a prayer leader from Pennsylvania, and he had a son named Jeff who um, was the prodigal, left home. Jeff said, I don't want anything to do with you or your God or your life, and he went west and he lived a wild life. And at one point, uh, about 15 years after that, his mom and dad were praying for him pretty much every day, but he had cut off complete contact. Uh, Jeff called home and said, Dad, would you come? I need you. And as it turned out, uh, Jeff was in a hospital in Denver uh, dying from AIDS. And so Richard went right away, and we found him, he found him, and, and Jeff was just so ashamed, and he said, Dad, I'm just so sorry. I don't know how you can forgive me for the way I've treated you. And, and Richard said, we've been praying for you for 15 years. I love you. You're my son. I forgive you. And they, they reconciled. Um, Jeff went on to say, I've, I've also um, blown it with God completely. And so um, Jeff came back to faith during that time with his dad as well. Jeff died a few days later. You know, what if his dad would have said, hey, son, you've blown it, and, you know, this is irreparable damage, and um, there's no way your mom and I can forgive you for the pain you've put us through. No, I just said, we got to go. Forgive one another, Paul says, just as Christ has forgiven you. Paul also says in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's important. As far as it depends on you, it takes two people to reconcile two parties. It takes one to forgive, two to reconcile. But is there anybody in your life today when you hear that and you go, ah, man, I really would like to make things right with this person. I'm not sure if I know how, but this is a person who's an important part of my life or has been and, and uh, neighbor, friend, family, coworker, and God, I, I just don't know what to do, but I know I know that I need to because time is short. I don't know how many opportunities I'll have to reconcile with that person. And so I just am asking the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart if that has your name on it today and to give you the grace to do so. I remember standing in a place like this and um, uh, preaching a message like this and uh, I got to this point and somebody got out of their chair over here, got up and walked over here and reconciled with a brother they'd been at odds with for years. Kind of fits with what Jesus says in Matthew 5:24. If you're bringing your offering, these wonderful offerings, you know, to the altar, and you know, you, re you remember somebody has something against you, go first and be reconciled before you bring your offering. Um, so I offer that word to you. Um, the Lord says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. These are hard things, but don't miss the opportunities while you have them. Reconciliation. Thank you, Mark, for reminding us of that. Last, there's Timothy. Timothy, Timothy. This is the one that Paul had invested in as a dear son. He was a fellow servant, a fellow prisoner, a fellow missionary. He became the leader of the church at Ephesus. And so now as Paul is writing this pastoral epistle, it's to a young pastor, maybe in his 30s, who's trying to figure it out, you know. And he actually co-authored a half, one half of Paul's letters, his epistles. So they're really tight. And he's saying, Timothy, come. I need you here. 
you're the closest thing to family I have. But if you're going to come, you got to come quickly because I won't be here very much longer. That's exactly what happened to my wife um, in 2009 when her dad um, was dying in a, a hospital in Southern California. And we were living in Kansas. And my, my wife hates to fly, but she took a train from Dodge City to Los Angeles and then uh, down to where her dad lived. And um, her dad left her family when she was eight years old. And um, they had some contact over the years, but things had grown cold. And my wife was uh, knew that she needed to do some reconciliation with her dad. And so when she got the call, she just got on that train and went. And she got to be there with her dad um, as he was in his last days. She got to talk with him and, and do some work of reconciliation in their relationship. And, and he responded to that. And uh, she also had an assurance of his salvation during their conversation. And uh, she got to hold his hand just hours on end. Um, he kept saying, you can go home now. And she said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay. And, um, and then... And then Two months later, he died. And um, so my wife has this wonderful memory, instead of a painful memory, of her final time with her father. And so there are these times in our lives that are uniquely important, and we don't want to miss them because it's a window of opportunity. And these things come and go, and, and life is short. And so I think Timothy would say to us if he was here today, and I, we don't know for sure if he got there in time. We, we kind of think he did, but I think he would say to us, man, man don't, don't miss the opportunities for service to others, to encourage, to support, um, to uh, help bear with people in, in their difficult moments. Don't shy away from those. Ask God to give you grace to step into those difficult moments because they can be life-changing and life-giving. And so I don't know if there's anybody like that around you. Maybe, you know, again, maybe it's at home, but maybe it's at work. Um, you know, maybe you've got coworkers who uh, need some ministry, and you're, you're sheepish, and you're, you're kind of reluctant. You don't want to offend anybody or say something that will embarrass you. And it's like, well, you're really going to be worried about that when they're gone, if you embarrassed yourself or not. And so maybe there are folks like that that God's calling you to come alongside and, and serve. Uh, it's fascinating, this, this horrible accident that happened with the students from Tuskegee Valley. Uh, I, one of my colleagues has a daughter who attends school there, um, and so she said, it's fascinating. She said, you know, most of the days of the year, we can't really talk openly about God much in class or anywhere. Um, but she said, you know, when that accident happened, the community called all the pastors in to the front to lead in that time of sorrow, grief, recovery. As my grandparents used to say, there are no atheists in the foxhole. So, again, opportunities, opportunities. So this is what Stephen Gourlay said. Stephen Gourlay was a Quaker evangelist and missionary from France. And he said this. Maybe you've heard this before. He said, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And so I don't know how that strikes you today. We're all in different places in our journey and our walk with the Lord. 
But I just wonder, is there somebody here that has never put your trust in Christ for salvation? Um, you know about God, but you don't know him personally. Um, again, today can be a day where you can begin a new relationship with Jesus that will give you assurance of salvation and peace that passes understanding and grace to help you through the trials of life. Maybe there's somebody who, there's a name, there's a face that comes to mind when you think about being at odds and uh, you, you need to reconcile. And, and God wants to give you the grace to do that today. But you'll probably have to take some initiative. And then there's somebody here probably who is being called to some kind of ministry, some kind of service uh, with somebody in your life. And uh, maybe you've been a bit hesitant. Um, but uh, wouldn't it be great if you don't have to have regrets someday when those opportunities are gone? You can say, you know what, I did what I could. Um, maybe it wasn't much, but I, I, I did my best to obey Jesus and, and provide service where, where it was needed. So I'll close with this. Um, so I uh, used to live in Denver, as I said, and uh, there was a road just outside of town, Lookout Mountain, kind of oversees Denver, beautiful view. And so we used to like to drive up there, and uh, the road's called Rattlesnake Road <laughs> because it goes like this. Um, my kids were like, no, Dad, we're going to get sick, you know. I'm like, hang on. It's, it's good for you. It's good for you. Um, so anyway, uh, so I remember one time we're driving up Rattlesnake Road and we come around a bend and uh, there's a guy in the ditch and a motorcycle over this way and uh, then a car over here. And uh, I remember getting out of the car and going over to try to help this guy. Couldn't get his helmet off. His, um, don't want to be graphic, but his head had swollen. And, and so I, I felt kind of helpless. Didn't know what I could do. I tried to just stick around and pray and... Um, before the um, ambulance got there, and, um, and he died. Um, and I remember being there in that moment and thinking, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing I can do at this point to help this guy. Um, if only, <laughs> if only, you know, I could have been there earlier. It's kind of the things you, you say in your head. But I hope and pray that somebody at some point was able to minister to this guy in such a way that he knew Jesus and that he didn't die without hope. But it's too late. I can't do anything. I hope Timothy didn't have that experience. I hope that he got there in time for Paul to say goodbye and to minister to Paul and to encourage Paul before he left this earth to go to his heavenly reward. Um, I hope. But we can't answer for Timothy. We can only answer for ourselves. And so today, today, what opportunities do you have to come to Christ, to be reconciled with your brother or sister, to serve those in need? Um, you know, just, just let the Holy Spirit lead you, give you the grace. Can I just say this real quick? Uh, when I was a kid, my greatest fear, bar none, was public speaking. And so when the Lord called me to ministry in college, I laughed. <laughs> That's a good one. That's, that's, that's funny. Um, I even stuttered in junior high off and on. And um, what I want to tell you is, after 40 years of preaching and teaching, that the one who loves us and calls us and saves us, Jesus, is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine through the power of Christ at work within us and within his church, Ephesians 3.20. And so I want to encourage you don't tell God what you can't do. Ask him 
what he's given to you and just just say yes and just trust him because uh, you can't do it yourself you can't save yourself you can't reconcile yourself you can't serve by yourself it's the power of the Holy Spirit but I can tell you <laughs> as a complete miracle of God standing here 40 years later after my call to ministry God has done immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine been able to preach the gospel in 25 countries on five continents um, and it's not because I'm a good speaker it's just because God says this is my call trust me and I'll, I'll accomplish my purpose so what is your greatest fear what is it that you think I could never do that right on the other side of your greatest fear is your greatest opportunity for kingdom work in meaningful ministry and that could be across the street with your neighbor it could be across the room with a member of your family it could be across the aisle with a coworker. May the Lord give you courage to receive his grace today in ways that will change your life and the lives of those around you. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, here we are on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and we're here to say thank you. We're here to say thank you for the grace that is greater than all of our sin. Thank you for your love that knows no boundaries. And thank you, Lord, for your power that is unlimited. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing, but we also know that in Christ and through Christ, we can do all things because you give us strength, Jesus. And so for my friends here today, I pray that you would give them a bit of a sense of urgency and me as well even as I drive home from here, that, Lord, there's no uh, wasted opportunities. There's no wasted conversations that you want to use every experience in our lives to, to give glory to your name and to give blessing to the people around us. So, Lord, wherever we are today, help us to say yes to you and help us to know that you're able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask.